we're in the middle of a series of sermons on the Ten Commandments, and I want to read for us two verses that deal with the Eighth Commandment. The first is from Ephesians 4, the second is from Exodus 20. Ephesians 4. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And then Exodus 20, you shall not steal. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. We do thank you, Lord, for your word, and we ask that this morning, again, you would meet us, speak to us from your word, that we would not only understand your law, but we would understand your heart, and we would know you better from your word. In Christ's name, amen. So, here's a question. Have you, have you, ever, had, have you ever had anything stolen from you? course, right? Let's do a, we'll do a little survey to see what we've had stolen. You can participate if you want just by raising your hand. Let's see how many of you have ever had money stolen from you. A lot, either cash or they took your credit card number or something like that. Um, how many of you ever had like a valuable item, a camera, computer, car, or not car, anything like that? Something from your house stolen. Okay, almost everyone. Have you ever had a bicycle stolen? It happened to me twice. You think I'd get a better lock, right? Um, car, automobile? All right. Um, well, this final, this is kind of sensitive because this, in my opinion, this is the most low down, nasty, mean form of thievery known to mankind. Have you ever had someone steal your umbrella on a rainy day? <laughs> Anyone, like you go in a building, you leave it by the door. When you leave, it's not there. I hope that didn't happen to this church, right? Okay, so we, we all know what it's like to have things taken from us. And, and I, would you agree with me? It doesn't feel good, right? It feels really bad. There's, some, there's something about having your possessions stolen from you that can be really, really upsetting. I was reading an article in LA Times a psychologist who works with victims of crime, and, um, and she says that people who've had their houses burglarized, they, they report they feel anger, they feel hopelessness, they feel violated, they feel this persistent fear. It just, it, it affects us when things are stolen. And it's not, it's not merely the monetary value of what we lose, right? So if, for example, if you have a close friend who's in need, and your friend asked you for $20, I bet anyone here you would give right away, right? But if you found the same friend going through your wallet without asking and taking $20, it's the same friend, the same amount of money, but it's, it's an entirely different experience. You would feel like a trust had been violated. Just having things stolen from us, it feels like it is, it's, not just the, it's not just the loss of the thing. It feels like it's an attack on your personhood, right? And the Eighth Commandment deals with that. As I said, we're, we're studying the Ten Commandments. And before, before we look at this commandment, can I give you a reminder? We talked about this before. Um, the Ten Commandments were given to Israel after God took them out of their slavery in Egypt. 
not before, all right? And that, that is so important. It's not, it's not as if the people of God were enslaved in this land of Egypt and God looked down on them and said, listen, here are 10 rules. If you prove to me that you're good people and you can keep these rules, then I will come and save you from your slavery. It's not like that. God just lifted them out of their bondage for no other reason than his mercy for them. And then, after they were already free, he said, now, here are 10 rules that show you how to live as free people. And do you know the law of God, it serves the same way for us. We are, would you agree, guys, we are saved by grace. We don't earn our salvation. We don't, we don't merit it by keeping the rules. We're saved because of Jesus Christ, by God's mercy. And then the law, just like with the Israelites, come and God says, now that you are my children, you are free. I want to show you how to live like free people. So that's the purpose of, of the commandments. And one of them, as we're looking at today, number eight is Exodus 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. Now, I just want to keep it simple today, so I want to ask two questions. What does it mean to keep this command, all right? And then number two, how can we be empowered to keep it? So what, is it, what does it mean to keep the eighth commandment? Well, obviously, it means... It means don't rob any banks, okay? Take note of that. It means um, don't, don't steal any cars, don't shoplift, don't mug people on the streets. I mean, that's, thou shalt not steal is pretty straightforward, right? Um, I, we probably all agree that it also means pay back what you owe, hmm? uh, return what you borrow, right? If, if, you're, if you are hired to do a job, do it, you know, an, an hour's work for an hour's pay. I, I would also say this, this includes that, that employers must compensate their employees um, a fair wage for the work that they do. Don't steal time from your employer and don't steal time from your employees, right? Which would mean for us, if you're in a restaurant, does the Eighth Commandment mean this? Tip the waiter generously? You know that in this country, that the tips are calculated into their wages, right? I would think the Eighth Commandment means that in, in, a, um, in an academic setting, in school, don't plagiarize, right, Dr. Kaufman? That's, that's, called, the, uh, that's called the theft of intellectual property. So these, these are all things that are involved in, the, in this idea of God saying, you, you are to respect that which belongs to someone else. Don't take that which is not yours, Thou shall not steal. So that's what it means. However, if we had a time machine, uh, I forgot to bring mine today, but if we had one, if we could go back to visit a church 400 years ago, 500 years ago, past generations of Christians, they talked about this commandment very differently than they do. They, when, when, they, when, when they talked about the Eighth Commandment, they said, yes, it means don't take that which isn't yours. But they, they said, listen, it means more than just thou shalt not take. They used to say, this commandment means thou shalt give. They, they, they saw the eighth commandment as God calling his people to be people who are just radically generous with what we own. So here, here's some examples from the past. The Westminster Larger Catechism, 1647 it lists among the duties that are required by the Eighth Commandment, it says that this commandment requires, quote, giving and lending freely according to our abilities and the necessities of others. The Heidelberg Catechism, 1563, says that the Eighth Commandment requires, quote, it requires that I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good, 
that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. And then centuries before that, John Chrysostom, he was, he was born in the fourth century, he said, he said this, not to share our own wealth with the poor is theft from the poor and deprivation of their means of life. He said, we do not possess our wealth, but theirs. So past generations of Christians, when, they, when, they, when their pastors stood up and talked about the Eighth Commandment, they would, yes, they would say, don't steal, don't take that which is not yours, pay back what you owe. But they would always say, this commandment, it also means give. God, God wants you to give. Now, why? Why did they think that way about this commandment? Well, one, one reason is just because of what they read in, in, in the Bible, what they read in Scripture. For example, this, this verse that I just read for you from, from Ephesians 4.28, this is, this is what the apostle said to the church. He said, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So in, in that verse, the apostle, isn't that something? The apostle says that the opposite of stealing is not, not stealing. He says the, the opposite of stealing is giving. So in the apostolic church, they, they would say that a thief hasn't fully repented of, 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 of thievery until he or she begins to Share with those who are in need. And, and we see that there's a story, you know the story from Luke of uh, Zacchaeus, the wee little man, right? Um, Zacchaeus, in, in, in Luke 19, we read about this man who lived in Jericho. His name was Zacchaeus. And we read that he was a tax collector who had grown very, very wealthy through theft and corruption by using his position of influence to steal from people. And when Zacchaeus met Jesus, his life was transformed and he repented of his sin. And do you remember, when Zacchaeus repented, he didn't just stop stealing. Or he didn't even merely make restitution for what he had taken. No, when he repented, he said this. He said, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And then Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. So for Zacchaeus to repent of stealing didn't just mean stop stealing. It meant to begin to give. So first centuries, Christians, as they've looked at scripture, they've realized that when God tells us not to steal, you see it in the Bible. He's saying, I want more than just you stop pilfering, but you begin, you begin radically, generously giving of your life to others. In fact, is it Malachi the prophet? Malachi said that a failure to give generously, he called it robbing from God. Remember that? So um, one, one reason Christians in the past thought that this, this commandment means we need to give generously is because of what they read in scripture. Another reason is just because of the way that people back then saw the world around them. Now, in, in, in our generation, especially in Western cultures like ours, we tend to think of ourselves primarily as individuals. It's just kind of the, the, the dominant philosophy, the way that our, the dominant worldview today. We, we view ourselves as individuals, so, so we kind of just go through life thinking, you know, I, I make my own decisions, I, I plan my own plans, I earn my own pay, I, I have my own rights, I live my life. 
It's like that, remember that song by Billy Joel? He said, I, I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. That song would not have been a hit in the 1400s. I mean, because, because no, no one would have understood it. What are you talking about? But this is, this is the way that we, this is just the way that we live. This is the air we breathe in kind of a, a modern Western, Western culture. We, um, yes, we know we should be kind to others, but we primarily we primarily think of ourselves as individuals, right? So one author says this, individualistic cultures are those that stress the needs of the individual over the needs of the group. In this type of culture, people are seen as independent and autonomous. Social behavior tends to be dictated by the attitudes and preferences of individuals. And listen, there are some advantages to that kind of culture. I mean, there, there's a freedom from this sort of, tri, you know, group think or herd mentality. There's, there's, a, there's a boldness sometimes to, to stand up for truth when nobody else wants to. So there can be advantages to that. And there can be disadvantages. But I just, I'm just pointing out, this is, this is the world that we live in. Now, in, in, in the past, um, people did not see themselves that way. And even now, in many parts of the world, people don't see themselves primarily as individuals. They, they, they think of themselves as members of a community. They, they just have this, this kind of ongoing sense uh, as they walk through life that their lives are organically connected to the lives of many, many other people and that they did not get to be where they are right now on their own. Just kind of this sense, they, they, they go through life realizing that, you know, other, other people taught me, other people housed me, other people fed me, other people changed my diapers. You know, just, they, they never forget that other people have constantly been giving into their life because, because they're, they're part of a community that they belong to. And, and when you, listen, when you just instinctively view life that way, it, it's easy to see why, why you would have this feeling that you just, you ought to be. Giving. So, for example, let's, let's, let's imagine that um, every Friday night for years, I have been meeting with the same group of friends for pizza. We go every Friday night. We've been doing this since college. We meet together, same, same group. We go to a pizzeria. We, we, we catch up on the week. We enjoy some pizza together. And then, you know, we just kind of chip in and, and we cover the cost of the meal. You know, sometimes one person has money, sometimes another person. It's just, just imagine I, we, I've been doing that. But I never, ever, for 20 years, I've never helped pay for any pizza. Man, I got away with it. Every time, every time the waiter brings a check, David just happens to be in the men's room, right? Or David just happens to be outside talking on his phone. Or, yo, sorry, guys, I forgot my wallet today. Just, just imagine that I've lived my life that way. Now, technically, I'm not stealing. It's voluntary. But would you feel like I'm kind of stealing? Kind of stealing from my friends? Just taking from them. See, if, 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 if you're part of a community and you are not giving, then you are taking, right? You're only taking. And isn't that what the Eighth Commandment is all about? It's about, it's about not taking, right? Now, now, of course, I don't meet with the same group of friends for 20 years at the same pizzeria. Life, you know, life is not like that. We're not part, we're not part of a fixed community. Most of us do not live in the same community where we were born, right? 
I don't even know how many communities I've lived in over the years. We move around, other people move around. For us, community, it's always in flux. It's even hard to say exactly what is your community. In fact, if, if, I, if I were to think back over the years of all the people who've given to me, can you do that? Just imagine all the people who've really given to you. Most of them, there is no way I could pay them back. I think of this, uh, this teacher I had in third grade. Did, did any of you ever have a teacher that just, just made school special? I mean, they put so much into her. She put so much into her job. I mean, she, she just, third grade was a magical year for me. And by the end of third grade, I think every child in my class, including me, because of this teacher, we fell in love with reading. I didn't love reading before I met her. And, and so that teacher, she gave me a gift that I still enjoy to this day. I could never pay her back. I don't even remember her name. Or I think of this little league coach I had. He was so kind to me. He just really boosted my confidence by his kindness, even though I was the second worst player on the team. I wasn't the, I wasn't the worst, all right? It's important when you're a little boy. I was the second worst. But he was just so, he was so kind to me. You know, that, that man was older than my father, which means he's probably not alive anymore. Even if I knew, if, even if I remembered his name, how would I ever give back to him? Or, or what about all those, all those anonymous donors who gave to the scholarship fund that helped me through grad school? They're anonymous. I can't give back to them. So, so when we think about giving back to our community, it's, it's not this idea of giving back to specific people. It's, it, that's not what it is. It's, it, it's this idea of just not paying back, but what do they call it? Pay it forward, right? Just view yourself, not as an individual, but as a part of a world in, in, in which you live a life that is connected to many others. Your whole life, you've been receiving. Who did you receive from? That Sunday school teacher? That loving aunt? That, that, that neighbor who always, who, who always helped you? What, just think of all the ways you've been receiving. To, to live as a... Um, as a giver, it's just to view yourself, I am connected to this world. If I'm not giving, I'm only taking. That old, uh, that old uh, actor, Danny Thomas, he said this. He said, there are two types of people in this world, the givers and the takers. The takers sometimes eat better, but the givers always sleep better. Hmm. So... Um, I wonder how people who really knew you, if they were being candid, family, friends, coworkers, I wonder how they'd describe you. Maybe they'd say, oh man, she is definitely a giver. I mean, she is so generous with her time and willing to listen. She's always there for you. You don't even have to ask her for help. She just seems to sense that you probably need it. And there she is. She's a giver through and through. Or might they say, you know, I hate to admit it, but yeah, he's kind of a taker. I mean, the only time you ever hear from him is when he needs something. In every conversation, it's all about him, his problems, his day. Never ask you how you are. You know, how, how, might, how might you be described? You see, God's, God's desire for us as people redeemed, people who belong to him, is that, that, that we would have this reputation as, as followers of Jesus. Man, Christians give. They always have time for their neighbors. They always, they always listen. They always, see, that, that's his intention. So if you remember the story of Israel, um, when God brought them out of their slavery, 
We read that at the, at the moment of the Exodus, it says that the Lord turned the hearts of the Egyptians, their slave masters, to give to the Israelites. So they did not leave Egypt empty-handed. They left, they left laden with gold and jewels and clothing. I guess these Egyptians just, just realized if they had enslaved these people for all these years, they owed them some restitution for that. So they gave them all of this, right? And then, and then they got out in the wilderness and, and, and there was nothing to eat. And then every morning, God began to provide the manna on the ground. Remember that? Every day, God provided and every now and then there was no more water. And then, you know, all the amazing miracles of rocks bursting open and water or, or, or um, springs that were, were bitter becoming pure. And God, like, God was just showing them again and again and again. I got you. I'm going to provide for you. I want you. This is what God's word to Israel. I want you to be a nation of people where everyone is a giver. Everyone. In, in fact, in Deuteronomy, God, God said to them through Moses, this is my plan for Israel. He said, there shall be no poor person among you. Why would there be no poor people in ancient Israel? Because they would all win the lottery. No, because they would all share. No one would ever be poor because they'd all share. So that was God's desire for Israel, that there would just be a nation. This is a desire for Christians today. We would be a kingdom of people who are known in this world as the most large-hearted, generous giving of their time, giving of their, just a nation, a holy nation of givers. So that's what it means to keep the eighth commandment. It means uh, don't take what is not yours and do share what is yours. Now, second point, how, how, how might we be empowered to keep this? Um, it's, it's, you know, it's one thing to, to refrain from stealing, I think most of you can probably handle that. If we asked you to, can you please rein in your life of crime, I think you could probably work that out. So it's, it's, it's one thing to refrain from stealing, but you know, can we just be honest? Sometimes giving is hard. It's just being there for people. For, for, some, for some, this thought of, of, of giving of your time, man, that's hard, because you know, you know how the demands of life are. You feel like you don't have enough time. Most, most of us, you know, somebody's moving on Saturday. Okay, if I'm free, I'll be there, but I can't commit. You know, this idea of committing and just saying, I will give you four hours next Saturday. That's, that's, that's really hard because we're, we're all so busy. If I just start living as a giver, giving my time whenever it's needed, well, what's gonna happen to me? It's the same with money. We have some incredibly generous people with their money in this church, but, but some of you struggle with this. I, I don't know your names, but I do get the reports from, from the treasurer that a that significant number of our members just hardly give to the church. For some people, that's really, really hard. I'm not trying to pick on anyone. It's just scary because you know how expensive it is to live in Queens, New York, and, and you know how uncertain the job market can be. And you know how debt can just pile up and it just feels so hard. If I give of my finances, will, will there be any for me? So, the, so, all right, thou shalt not steal. This is, that's easy. Just stop stealing. But if this commandment really means, as people have thought for years, thou shalt give, be a giver. Well, that can be a little hard. So what might empower us, just set us free to live that way? Well, you're not going to be surprised to hear me say that the gospel can help with that, right? Um, and, and what is the gospel? The gospel is the message of what God has done for us through Christ. 
You know what part of that message says? That message says, listen, if you have placed your trust in Jesus to be your savior, you now have a very wealthy father. Hmm? You have a very wealthy, very generous father. You have a father who loves his children, who loves to give, and who loves to give to his children. I mean, you, this, is, this is who our God is. If we ever doubt that, I mean, what, not, not only did God give the Israelites the manna in the wilderness and he's provided for us. Listen, God loves you so much, he gave everything. When we say that the Father gave the Son, don't just let there be some little formula. Yeah, the Father gave the Son that I might be saved. When, when you read that the Father gave the Son for you, that means God himself gave everything. That, that the most precious gift he could ever give, it ripped out the Father's heart to give the Son. But he did this gladly for you. So imagine your father is Bill Gates. Hmm? Do you have a hard time picking up the check at lunch next week? No, I don't think so. Oh, Bill Gates is Bill Gates is poor compared to my father, your father, who's so generous. And so, and so when you when you let that sink inside, you just say, you know, God. My father will always take care of me. I don't have to worry about running out of time at the end of the week or running out of money at the end of the month. I don't have to worry. I can just, you know, obviously we, we, have, to, we have to navigate life with wisdom. There are times it's okay to say no, all right? But, but, but there ought to be this, this instinctive reflex of saying yes. You need help? Yes. You, you need someone to listen to you? Yes. You, 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 need, you, need, you need a little bit of giving to make it through the month? Yes. It just empowers you to say, with a, with a father like I have, hmm, it's easy to give. So Jesus once said this, I'll close with this, this verse, Luke 12, 32 to 33. He was talking to his disciples, who by the way, do you know that most of his disciples were very poor people? They did not have, they didn't have ATM cards and they didn't have money in the bank. Most of them just lived day to day. And here's, here's what he said to them, Luke 12. He said, do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. You own a kingdom now. So he said, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. So when you know you have a generous father, listen, you never need to steal, right? And you're always free to give. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in Jesus, your desire is to make us into the kind of, kind of men and women that we are, we've always wanted to be, to just empower us to be the, the kind of large-hearted, kind, giving, open-handed people who are unafraid to, to bless others around them. So we thank you that that is your gift to us in Jesus. And may we walk in the fullness of that gift, um, rejoicing in your generosity by sharing it with others. In Christ's name, amen.